Well, good morning. I think it's still there, isn't it? It's still morning. Hey, if, if I'm here, that means Pastor Doug is somewhere else, and he is. He and Vicki were sick this week, and so it's my privilege to be here with you this morning and uh, share with them what they are. They're doing well. Pastor texted me this morning, said they thought he'd take one more day and stay in, so we're glad, uh, glad they're feeling better and that uh, God's kind of brought some healing there. We need him back. He will be back, of course, with us next Sunday for our service and let you know. Then we've got the baptism service uh, tonight at 6. If you want to know more information about that, a believer's baptism, you've never been baptized as a believer, I'll be at Connection Point after the service. Actually, our deacons, deacon of the week, and the folks that will pray with you up here can talk with you too about baptism. If you've never done that and you say, boy, I'd like to do it, a little, a little more personal setting. There's just a few folks that come to that one. We had four or five people signed up, so we can add definitely and add a few more. But uh, tonight at 6 o'clock in the Kids Eye Center, baptism time, so we'd be happy to have you. Um, I want this morning just to talk a little bit about uh, a subject, and I probably uh, could have added or could have changed the title multiple times, and I just called it Raising Kids Right. This is not necessarily from personal experience, because if you know uh, me and if you ask my wife, um, I'm definitely not very perfect, and I have uh, offered my children thousands of dollars for uh, counseling help to help solve all their problems that I created for them So, uh, in their dysfunctional home that we lived in. But I love them, and uh, if I mention their name, I have to give them $10. So I can't, I'm not going to mention any names. Um, that was kind of our rule back in the day, keep me from using... Using too many personal examples, but um, I really believe Scripture talks about some great principles that we need to we need to look at in terms of family life and life in general, in terms of being a Christian in the world we live in. And I think First Samuel does exactly that in verses one, uh, chapter one there, and, and following. And so this morning, I want you to look at that with me. With that backdrop, though, I, I have to tell you, our kids, um, when we raised them, we were we were a pretty at pretty normal home, just like yours in a lot of ways. Um, we allowed our kids to be open and honest with us a little bit, maybe sometimes a little too open, a little too honest. Uh, they, we tried to be real in front of them and real with them. They called me out multiple times. Dad, why don't you live what you preach? You know, all that kind of stuff. They were in my face, and it was always with, pretty much with respect, even to this day with respect, but uh, just a touch of irreverence in them a little bit. Um, this was my Father's Day gift this year, and uh, it's a shirt that they gave me for Father's Day. It says, Dear Dad, great job. We're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So how in the world they made a Father's Day shirt more about them than me, I don't know, but that's my bunch. Uh, we love them. We love the kiddos they brought. Um, and, it, you know, no sermon on family would not be complete without a... Uh, photo of some grandkids so I want to show you my, our cousin crew this summer uh, every year we kind of try to do a picture we try to do a little cousin camp and we squeeze it together this year but we've got a picture of our bunch um, there they are all nine of them um, kind of by family the first three on the far right are brothers and sisters the middle four brothers and sisters the last two sisters together um, they love each other they love spending time together um, and we try to create a home environment. Even still, we're teaching. We're this bunch. We are teaching and equipping and training. We're praying with them. We're doing bedtime routines. Um, 
Joni is much better at this than I am, but uh, I, I have a way of disappearing at times when I need a little space. <laughs> but we, we work long and hard. We, we spend a one-on-one time. I think it gives us the right to build into them. I want the right to build into them when they're teenagers or when they're young adults one day. I want to be able to say to them, hey, Papa would like to talk with you about something. You know, or Papa would like to encourage you on this or that. Or Mimi would like to, you know, we want to, and the only way to do that is spend time. It really is. And so um, we want that to be a part of our regular routine. So this is not about me or Joni and I and our parenting styles as much as really it's about what Scripture, a picture of what Scripture shows us in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we see here in this, in this group, uh, in this kind of passage, and, and I'll just have to recap it for you kind of in story form if you'll let me because of just of the incredible length and breadth of it. But we see in chapters uh, 1 here the story of um, Hannah and Elkanah the, um, and, and the priest Eli and the contrast, I think, between two families. And I say all this because I really think, you know, Johnny said, hey, do you know who you're speaking to? You're not just speaking to, you know, uh, husbands and wives with little kids. I said, yeah, but I'm speaking to, you know, if I'm speaking on families and children, I think everybody in the room has been a child at once. I, you know, I, even Josh, you've been, still are, aren't you? Um, you know, here's the thing, guys, I, and, and young men, let me just say this to you. If we want to change our world, I think us, us men have to, we have to step up. Uh, us dads, us grandpas, us men, us young men, we need to step up. I think the world's in the mess it's in is because I think of a lack of some, some daddy time. There's no question in my mind as I talk with people that there's, I, don't, I mean, very few people that said, you know what, my dad just loved me too much. He just loved me too much, you know. I wish he'd have loved me a little less. Nobody says that. Nobody says, my dad was such a godly influence. I wish he'd have just toned it down, you know. He was way too much like Jesus, and I wish, you know. Nobody says that. And the truth is, I, man, I believe that if we would step up to the task and be the godly men we need to be, the godly husbands we need to be, the godly fathers we need to be, the godly grandfathers we need to be, I think this world would be a better place. I really do. And guys, it's not easy living in this world. It is not easy when, with a world that tells you what you ought to want and what you ought to do and how you ought to do it. The internet is full of all kinds of stuff to detract you from God's best. But I say stay the course. Stay the course. We need godly men. We need, we need godly men. I think some of the confusion in this world about, you know, uh, the, the sexes, confusion in this world about what it means to truly be loved, it, it, it stems from a, a lack of, of solid male role models. Now, I'm not dissing on us. I'm just saying we're more important than we think we are. And for those of you moms who've raised kids, praise God. God's worked heavily through you and worked in a wonderful way. But guys, let's, let's step up to the task. Let's be what God called us to be. Here's an example of some men that weren't what God wanted them to be in, in 1 Samuel. So in the story of 1 Samuel, and, and let me just work our way through the story kind of in story form, we see a couple things with Hannah. Um, Hannah uh, is the wife of Elkanah, and he has two wives, Paniah and Hannah. Uh, Paniah has children, Hannah does not. Hannah is a devout believer she just pines. She wants God to give her a child, especially she wants a son. And when they go down to their annual trip to the temple to offer their sacrifice to the Lord, to offer their sin sacrifice to God, the meat offering, 
Um, Hannah goes with her husband, and she is just praying outside the temple. She's praying in one of the courts and just lifting her, her voice up to the Lord and just in lament as well as in plea. And she just is God, and so much so, she's just gesturing and speaking from her heart that Eli the priest who's sitting by the doorpost, matter of fact, every time you read something about Eli, he's sitting. Basically, it's because he's... He's lazy, is what it is. You know, I mean, Scripture's pretty clear. He's just lazy. Uh, thanks to his boys, he's grown old and fat and can't even walk around, and he's lazy. But he sees Hannah, and he says to her, he thinks, hey, she's drunk. She's throwing her arms around. She's speaking. You know, she's not, we're not hearing anything she's saying. She just, and so he says to her, woman, put your wine away. Quit drinking, you know, and go about your business. Get sobered up. She said, no, no, no. But she says, her words really are, are that very thing as, as she's there. She says to the priest, um, you know, uh, no, my Lord, Hannah replied. I, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I've never had any wine or, or, or any alcohol. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and even my resentment against her fellow sister wife there. And Eli responded, then go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the petition that you've requested from him. And she says, may your servant find favor with you. And then she went on her way and no longer looked despondent. Here was Hannah in front of Eli, who made her request known that she just wanted a child of God. And, and, and at this point, um, Hannah goes back with her husband. They, it says that she, she goes back to him that, that evening. They get up early, though. They bow down and worship before the Lord. They do their worship. They present their sacrifices, obviously. And then they return home. And the scripture records that Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And after some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. God answers prayers. God answers requests when they're, when they're of his will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God answers prayer. He answered Hannah's prayer this day. And she, gave, she immediately decided this boy would be given to the Lord as she promised. The story goes on that uh, Elkanah goes back for the next year for his, uh, the annual offerings, the meat offerings, sin offerings. Hannah says, the boy's not quite old enough yet. When I've weaned him, I'll bring him. The next year she brings him to the temple. Elkanah says, you know, you do what God's told you to do. He gives her that full freedom to let her do what she needs to do. She weans the boy, and it says that she brings him. It's just when she had weaned him, chapter uh, 1, beginning with verse 24, she took him with her uh, to Shiloh as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, a jar of wine. Although the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. And then they slaughtered the bull there, and they brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as sure as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave him me what I asked for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he's given to the Lord. And then he bowed and worshiped to the Lord there. So here is a mom. Here is a woman who said, God, I ask of you something, and you granted it. Father, I want to give it back to you. I want to give it to you. Now that's, can you imagine? That you ask for a child, you get it. But instead of keeping it to herself, instead of keeping Samuel to herself, she gives him to the Lord. And boy, will God use this little guy. God's going to use this, this child in a powerful way because a mother was willing to give back what she asked God for. And so as she, as she gives, God 
grows and works in Samuel's life. But then we see really kind of what's called her, her prayer, Hannah's prayer in, in chapter 2. Over and over, you can read all that for yourself. But it just says in the first part, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For it's the Lord, the God of knowledge, and actions, your actions are weighed by him. And she goes on to just multiple indications of her understanding of scripture and all that she had had a chance to even impart to young Samuel. And that is closed out by the thought that the boy served the Lord. The boy Samuel served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. However, Eli, chapter 2, verse 12 Sons, it says, were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord or the priest's share of the sacrifices from the people. Uh, verse 15, even before the... Uh, so what they would do, and I'll just, I'll just kind of describe this as best I can. When they would bring the, the, the offering to God to the temple, the offering was to be literally... The, it would be slaughtered, it would be... Um, everything would be skinned, the meat would be presented fat and all. The, the, the meat would be burned, and the fat would burn, obviously, first, kind of like sticking it on the grill. The fat burns off, and the, the smoke and the aroma of the meat is, is what, in, in a sense, went up to heaven, ascended into heaven, and God would, if you will, smell the, the fat offering, the offering from the meat, and say, you know, hey, this is my children who are making this offering to me. They're given of their best to me, their best, you know, uh, their, their best animal they brought with them. In a lot of ways, like Hannah, she's given her best to the Lord. And here, they're given their best. This fat offering um, is, is something. And so Eli's boys, Hophni and Phineas, decide, you know, I don't like that part. We kind of like raw meat, you know, or we kind of like our meat a little more rare. We don't like this boiled stuff or burned stuff. So they tell the people, when you bring your sin offering, just give us the raw meat first. We want that. And the people say, no, no, no. The scripture's clear. We're to give you the offering that uh, we're to bring the meat to you after the the fat's been burned and the smoke ascends to God in heaven. Then you're to be presented with me. And the Eli and, and, and or Hophni and Phineas were so adamant about this. They told their servants, "Here's what you tell the people: If you don't give us what we want, we'll take it by force, and we'll even take it before you offer it. And therefore, you'll have to go get something else." Total disregard for the scriptures. Total disregard for the for the process. Total disregard for the Lord. This was to be an offering offered to God first, offered to Him. And, and without that offered in that way, there was, in a sense, no, no, no offering that's lifted up to God, the, 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 the fat being burned off and that smoke ascending into heaven, that whole process of how God would, would see it and receive it from them. Uh, they thwarted that whole process. They were to do it their way, not God's way. They were, in Scripture's clear, wicked men. And so... Um, it says, verse 18, the boy Samuel served in the Lord's presence. He did all these things. His mother made him a little robe every year, and every year she'd come back, he got new clothes, kind of like going to school. You always got the new pair of Converse, blue jeans, and the flannel shirt. That was my day. It was a long time ago, okay? Um, and so, but uh, verse 22 of chapter 2, Eli is very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to, to all Israel and how they were even sleeping with the women who served at the entrance of the tent. He said to them, why are you doing these things? I've heard about your evil actions from all these people. No, my sons, the report I hear from the Lord's people is not good. If a man sins against another man, God can intercede for him. 
But if a man sins against the Lord, who could intercede for them? But it says they would not listen to their father. They wouldn't listen. Boy, Eli could have took matters right there, right then in his own hands. He could have, he could have set things straight, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Things have grown a little too easy, and that meat tasted a little bit too good. And he lets it slide. So we see in the life of these boys, a man of God comes to Eli and he says, this is what the Lord says. Didn't I reveal yourself, myself to in your ancestral house when I was in Egypt? And, I, and, and you belong to Pharaoh's palace. Out of all the tribes of Israel, I selected you. And I selected you to take the offerings from my people. I gave you my best. I provided for you to be cared for by, this, by their offerings in a specific way. You've been cared for all these years, and yet you show contempt for my law. You show contempt for what I'm doing. And so he says, all the, the very best, the, instead of you've honored your sons more than you honor me by making yourselves fat with the best part of the offerings of my people Israel. God deserved the best, not the priests. God deserved the best. And so we see this judgment that comes from this man where he says, although I said your family and your ancestral house, your, your entire family, would walk before me forever, the Lord now says, no longer. I will honor those who honor me, but those who despise me will be disgraced. A lot of lessons here for all of us. Not just parents. A lot of lessons here for all of us. Those who despise me will be disgraced. God says, live my truth. Reap the benefits. Despise me. Reap the consequences. And so he says, the days are coming when I'll cut off your family. Um, and he says, you'll see incredible distress. Any man from your family that I don't cut off, though, will bring sadness and grief to you. All your descendants will die violently, predicting Hophni and Phinehas' death. And this will be a sign that will come to you concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Both of them will die on the same day. And then I will raise up for myself a priest. He will do whatever is in my heart and my mind. I will establish a lasting dynasty for him, and he will walk before my anointed one for all time. Anyone who is left in your family will be coming to him to bow down for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. And so we see this call on Samuel's life. And so if I were to, to give you some principles again, uh, not necessarily, it's certainly not uh, from Joni and I. We are very imperfect parents, very imperfect people, and we have imperfect children. They're pretty perfect grandkids, though. Um, seven ways how not to raise your kids. Again, principles, seven's not magic. These are, there's a lot more, a lot of other things I would suggest. I wish I had time. We, this could go for at least two, two, two uh, different services and sermons that, uh, in a lot of ways. But seven ways. Number one, neglect God in your home. How not to raise your kids? Neglect God in your home. That's what we see with Hophni and Phinehas. Neglecting to teach them the ways of the Lord. Neglecting to teach them the truths of Scripture. Just, yeah, just neglect them. That's what you need to do. They, they, you know, public school is what they need. Education. When they go to school and they learn to read and write and arithmetic, that's that. Sunday, we'll do a little bit of church on Sunday. We'll show up and that's about it. It's got to go beyond this room. It's got to go beyond this room. Even in your quiet time, your understanding of the Lord is a daily thing. It's, it's got to go beyond this room. 
Neglect God in your home. That's a great way not to raise your kids. Number two, give in to the culture. My goodness, our culture is just the onslaught from the culture on Christians, let alone the church, is amazing. There's a culture out there that says you don't need to do this or this or this. Do whatever feels good to you and anything that doesn't feel good to you, somebody's telling you you can't do. That's, a, that's just, you know, that's just old-fashioned. You deserve it. You deserve this. You deserve that. Give in to the culture. Thirdly, disregard the truths of Scripture. Scripture's pretty clear on some things. And we may not like what it says, but if we disregard the truths of it, we are opening a door for a lot of struggle, a lot of heartache, and a lot of wrong turns, right or left, rather than where God would have us go. Disregard the truths of Scripture is, is a great way you know, to make sure your, your, your family, your home, your personal life um, doesn't give God glory by disregarding it. Fourthly, um, allow your kids to raise themselves. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, through neglect, and not, and not so much just neglect, even just busy. You know, it's, uh, we can get real busy. We can get so busy our kids don't have any time for us, and they find themselves constantly with, with a TV screen or a, or a computer screen or a Nintendo Switch screen or a whatever that, that, that babysits them, uh, you know, rather than us. But, but, you know, the truth is, is that as parents... Um, you know, we should be involved in allowing and uh, in, in being involved with them. And, but, but, you know, here, let them raise themselves. You know, they, let them figure it out for themselves. Uh, boy, that is just so counterproductive. Kids are longing to know how to do something, and helping them in that process is, is so, can be so encouraging. Number five, avoid correction or discipline, especially in the case of Hoffna and Phineas. Here we've got two young men. That, that Eli had multiple opportunities. He, he heard from the people, it says. He heard from a man of God. And then eventually he's going to hear from Samuel a third time. Your boys will die together. Your house will be disgraced. I'll raise up somebody else since you can't do the job. God says, don't do what I need you to do. And I will. I will. You know, that's what we, although as messed up as this world is, sometimes I get, I get, I don't know about you guys, I get, like, oh, God, what are we going to do? You know, this, this place is a mess. I read the newspaper. I, I, I log in the, you know, the computer screen. I, I log into what's going on, the latest in news. Oh, God, you know what? He's still in charge. He's still in charge. He says to Eli, don't do what I want. I'll take over if I need to. I'll take over, and I'll make it my way. And so as he's in charge, we know that that very thing. We, avoid correction or discipline. God says, I'll do the correction and discipline if I need to. Six, close your eyes to bad behavior. Just close your eyes. When, when they behave badly, just don't, don't, don't stop them. Don't, you know, just, just close your eyes. Pretend it's not exist. You know, for Eli, man, that meat tasted really good grilled. It ta- you know, it tasted really good raw where he could have it like he wanted it with a little more fat on it. And, and, uh, and the, he, the, you know, the boys were providing that for him. And how could he say no? It was so good. And, and you know, just uh, avoiding uh, just closing your eyes to bad behavior. It doesn't help. It just reinforces the bad behavior. Number seven, ignore wise counsel. On at least, well, on now, it will be three occasions Eli had a chance to correct things, but he didn't. In his own life, in his own style, with his kids, in his home, for the nation, he had a chance to correct it. Warned three different times. 
what he saw and heard from the people, what he saw from this man of God who came to him. And ultimately, he's going to hear from a little boy named Samuel. And so ignore wise counsel is a great way to do it. And so as we think of ways to guide your kids, I think there are some principles here in the life of Samuel uh, that are incredible. And, and uh, in that, I think his parents, I believe that, uh, parents, I do want to say, I, I believe that when God gives you children, boy, what a gift they are. Never forget that. What a gift they are. I, you know, children are a gift from God. And there have been some, obviously, some recent things with the Supreme Court and, and, and abortion. But children are a gift. When God gives that gift, we shouldn't, we shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't try to get rid of it. We should, we should relish it. We should, we should basically plan on setting it free a little more every day. You know, the goal of us as parents is to set our kids free a little bit more the next day and the next day and the next day. Otherwise, there'd be some 17-year-olds running around in diapers, you know? I mean, I mean, the goal is set them free, right? They're supposed to do a few things for themselves. From the very beginning, we're to try to set them free and live godly, meaningful lives. And so we need to be those kind of parents that raise kids in that way and guide them properly. And Scripture is pretty clear on that. I want to just, this last week, though, um, Something happened in the, in the Olympics in Barcelona with one of the young swimmers. A young girl by the name of Anita Alvarez was one of the synchronized swimmers with the U.S. swim team. She was doing her solo routine. In the middle of her, actually at the end of her routine, when she was to surface uh, to the top of the water, instead of surfacing, she sank to the bottom of the pool. The good, good news to start there is there's this, she and her coach on Thursday talking about her complete recovery and what had happened. And her, 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 from the hospital after they discovered she was fine, she said, Coach, I want to compete Friday, this last Friday. And she is pictured, if you look in the news, she's pictured uh, with her swim team there. She did not compete, but she was with the swim team, was cor- uh, poolside, anyway, it was fine. But in the rescue, and there's a picture here of her rescue, um, literally, she, when she sank to the bottom of the pool, she took water in and she sank. The coach said, uh, Coach Fuentes said this had happened one other time to her where the coach literally dove into the water and rescued her she said when she did her routine as she went to the bottom of the pool as she did her final routine her feet were up and I noticed her feet were white which meant the circulation was not good she'd been holding her breath so long that her feet didn't have enough of you know blood flowing in them that I noticed they were a little bit white and when the routine was over, she was, to serve, she was to come right back up to the service. And when she didn't, she said, I knew instinctively that's what we do. We've been holding our breath for so long, you want to shoot back up to the top and gasp for breath, take a breath. Instead, Anita sunk to the bottom of the pool. I didn't, I didn't show the pictures because they're incredibly graphic. Of, uh, with an underwater camera of the rescue of this coach as she dived in. The coach is on the far left, another swimmer here um, on the right, the young man dove in after Coach Fuentes did to rescue her once she got her to the surface. So they got her to the side of the pool, rolled her over. Uh, got, she was, her, her heart was beating, but she wasn't breathing. They got her breathing, of course, plenty of water in her lungs. She gets rid of the water in her lungs on the side of the pool, and, and she's ultimately fine. Um, but the coach said, I knew by looking at her feet, I knew by her routine what was supposed to happen, that things had gone wrong. Lifeguards all over the pool. They didn't know what that coach knew about her. They didn't dive in. Nobody went anywhere. And she said, when I looked and noticed that none of them were going in, I decided that's what I had to do. She said she dove into the pool. There's a pretty dramatic video of her underwater rescue and her grabbing her body and bringing her to the surface. And she said, because I knew instinctively my swimmer and what they need to do. 
having seen that happen before and having had dived in before, this coach knew. I believe there's a sense in which God, uh, when he gives you children, he, he, he's going to give you a, a sense of wisdom as you listen to him that nobody else has. I believe God gives you kids um, and he gives you children that, and, and gives you wisdom that, that I don't have. Now, it's, it's great to seek out some advice. That's great. But I believe God gives you, and you need to so know your kids, so know your children, that when something's a little off, when, when, when something doesn't look quite right, when the coloring's not right, when this isn't right, you so know them that you can instantly act or react to whatever needs to happen for them to be rescued and saved. This coach knew instantly what she needed to do and did what she needed to do. This young lady's alive today because of it. And uh, it's something that I think we as parents, there are times our kids need. They need us. They need us. They need us. They need us. This is a culture that will drown them. And God calls us to be that. This is a culture that will drown marriages. This is a culture that will drown people and individuals. And we have a God who we serve who's greater than this world, who's greater than the problems of this world, who knows us by, by name and who wants to be involved with it. And he will rescue if you'll let him. But parents, I, there are times when you need to be so attuned to your kids, so attuned to your kids, that I think there are times you rescue. And so number one, I think the, the way to guide your kids is to honor the Lord in your home. Honor the Lord in your home. Show honor not only to Him, but, but, but teach your children to the very thing. Not on Sunday morning, not just in church, but in your home throughout the week. Honor Him. I think by honoring Him, I think we worship Him. We saw that Hannah was willing to not only worship, but she called him the God of her salvation, her deliverance. She knew who he was, and she taught that to the kids in her own home. But he also, Lord, the lordship of Christ is so important. And he needs to be Lord in your family, the boss. He's the one that has the plan for you, and following his plan is the best plan. Teach your kids those simple truths as, as Scripture talks about those. Number two, model Christ as the example. Christ is the example, not you, not, not, not somebody else, not anybody, other person, but it's Jesus Christ we want our kids to look more like day by day. But you have to model that. You have to model what it means to that. And I think they need to see him in you. It's the best way to do it. It's the best way to do it. It's the best way to them see Christ in you and how you act and react, how you love, how you forgive, how you live. Model Christ as an example in your home. Thirdly, teach the truths of the Bible. And it goes for, you know, even, even those of us in here who aren't married. I mean, we need to learn the truths of Scripture if we're going to avoid these pitfalls. What are the truths of Scripture? How can I avoid the, the pitfalls that this world would throw at me and so that I'm not, uh, you know, totally cut off course, but I'm, I'm, I'm following God? It's the Scripture that gives the truth. That's why we talk about life groups and the importance of them. We want you in a group that does life with you. We want you in this word. We believe that it has value, it has direction, it has life uh, right here. It, it, it's, it's that life that God gives and this example he gives through his own word. Fourthly, be involved in parenting. Be involved. You know, the coach Fuentes knew as she looked at her own swimmer that things weren't going right. She knew because she'd been there so many times. She'd watched that routine. She knew her swimmer. Parents, we need to be so involved that we know our kids and we know when they're struggling and we know when they're hurting. We come alongside them and be the support, the encouragement. Number five, discipline, but do so in love. Discipline and love. 
That's not easy, but it's essential. We, we, we discipline because we love them, not because we're mad, not because we're trying to get revenge or get back because they didn't do what we told them to do and they messed it all up. What we do is we discipline in love. Um, and discipline really means to guide. It means to direct and guide in such a powerful way. And then I think um, call sin, sin. Call sin, sin. Call it, call it what it is. And then in the process, restore them. Eli couldn't even face it. He couldn't even face it. His own boys were wicked men. The, the, the country knew about it. Obviously, the Lord knew about it because the man of God came and he was going to hear about it again because the truth is he was unwilling, unwilling to call sin, sin, not only in his, the life of his own sons, but in his own life for not doing them. And it gives us the right to help them restore. I, you know, I think the prodigal son knew, I've messed up, but my daddy treats even his hired servants right. My dad has love. My dad, my dad is willing to take those who have needs. The prodigal knew he could go home. And I think if anything, I, I always wanted my, our kiddos to know they could come home. When they mess up as, as children, as teenagers, even as adults, they can come home. They, can, they, can, they, they, they will be loved and encouraged there, but they're going to be encouraged to follow God again, get back on their feet and follow God. In such a powerful, powerful way. You know, the story of a little girl who looked at her mama and said, saw some gray hairs in her head and said, Mama, what are those gray hairs in the, your hair? How come you got a few of those little gray hairs? She said, well, honey, every time you do something wrong or you make me a little bit upset or angry, I get one of those gray hairs. And after thinking for a little bit, the little girl said to her mom, Mommy, why is Grandma's head all white? You know, we need to call sin what it is. We need to be honest with ourselves in such a real way that God can use us and use what he wants. And then seek godly advice is the last one. Seek godly advice. God, what would you have me do? Seek other Christians out that, that love the Lord and will be honest with you. That's the hard part. Because sometimes we need to hear we're wrong. We're wrong. We're wrong. It's never too late. Let me just say that. Parents, it's never too late. If you've got a grown adult kids, and if you've messed up, you, it, the greatest thing you can ever say to your kids is, I messed up. I didn't do what was right. I didn't act right. I didn't respond right. God, I messed up. And when we do that, God wants to restore. He wants to use us. I, you know, I, I just, there's just power. There's power in admitting you're wrong to your kids. You know what it does? It opens the door for them to admit they're wrong. When you say... I messed up to another person. Hey, I'm sorry. They may not respond the same way. You'd like from them to maybe, but they may not. When you admit I was wrong, it's great. And so that godly advice that, that might, we might get from another person that says, hey, you need, to, you need to think a little bit about what you just said is incredibly powerful. And it's, it's incredibly helpful for those of us who know and love the Lord. In chapter um, 2, um, where uh, it says that they, Eli's sons would not listen to their father. Verse 26 says this, By contrast, the boy Samuel grew in stature and in favor with the Lord God and with man. In stature and in favor with God and man. Where else do we hear that verse? In Luke, about who? About Jesus. Live, ignore God's principles, 
suffer the consequences. Live according to the truths of God's word. Incorporate those into your own home. Incorporate forgiveness and love into your own home. And reap the blessings of what God wants to do. God loves us. God loves us and he wants to do incredible things in our lives. And he says, I will create. I will create something wonderful and new in you. When you're wrong, admit it. When you're wrong, say, hey, I messed up. Call sin, sin. Let your, your home be a place that's real where people can come and get gut level honest with each other. And God can bless and use that. This last week, I talked with a couple, and, and uh, their marriage wasn't going real good in the first two years. A few children since then, and a few things going on in their lives now that God has just begun to restore and do incredible things, rebuilding in both of them, incredible growth in both of them. And I said, are you ready to tell your story? And she said, almost, almost. And I said, you know, you're a trophy of God's grace. When both of you admitted to each other, hey, I may have been a little wrong here. And actually, it was the, it was the husband that needed to admit a little bit more than anybody else. But he has so come full circle that God is working in his life. And she said, he is everything I wanted him to be when we married God has worked in him. I prayed for him. God's worked in him. And, and God's building something new in our home. That's a trophy of God's grace. God's grace that says, I can restore, I can renew, I can forgive, if we'll admit and get honest with God, with our loved ones, with people around us. God calls us to be that kind of culture right here, not only in the church, but to spread that, that, that life of Christ through the world. A world is looking for genuine love. A world is looking for a genuine example of marriage. A world is looking for a genuine family that honors God and loves others. Let's be those families. Let's be those marriages. Let's be those people. And be an example to our community, to our families, and to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. And I thank you that you called us to be salt and light in this world. Use us, Father, for your honor and glory. And we give you, Lord, exactly that. Just the way we just give you all the praise. Because it's the great work you want to do in us is a work that we say it's because it's Jesus through us that people see. And may that be the case. May we raise godly homes. May we be a part of a godly home. Lord, even if it's a little bit later than we thought, even if it's later in life and as grandparents we're making a difference, help us be exactly that. And I pray we'll be example to the world of the forgiveness and the new life found in Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark.